0: Good afternoon. Uh, hello to everyone. Welcome to this first panel discussion that is the starting point of the Country Risk uh, Conference for 2022. And on behalf of BFM Business, we're very happy to be your partners of this very beautiful event. Uh, so we will have three panel discussions. We'll be talking about this huge phenomenon of a transition towards more sustainable uh, development models. We'll talk about the global economic perspectives with experts of COFAS and their assessment of the risks on the global uh, economic recovery. Yet, divergence, this is the key word of our first discussion for today, and this divergence, which is a growing one, a worrying one, uh, between uh, developed and emerging countries. The Director General de Cofas, bienvenue. Tania
1: Sologou, bonjour.
0: Welcome. Uh, Tania Sologou, you're economist and in charge of emerging countries and geopolitics at Credit Agricole. We will need the vision of an industry. Uh, Pascal Minot, you are the uh, general manager of Buick Construction, and Thomas Goma, you are the director of the French Institute for International Relations. Xavier Durand, the general manager of COFAS. You have a lot to say about what is in store uh, for us for 2022. There are many topics that we could have talked about supply chain inflation, geopolitical tensions, and I'm forgetting many. We chose to highlight, in presenting your perspectives for this year, this notion of divergence. Why so?
2: Well, I think this notion of divergence or the stop of convergence involves a great many phenomena, and you've mentioned quite a few. Since the 90s, there has been a prevailing school of thought whereby there's gradual convergence of emerging economies towards mature uh, economies, illustrated by the fact that per capita income in emerging countries was about 12 percent that of mature markets in 2000, and it rose to 22 percent in 2018 or 2019. And since the crisis broke out, we have seen the stop of this convergence it's come to a grinding halt. Now, of course, there's a recovery and the advanced economies are back to pre-COVID levels, back to 2019 levels, whereas emerging economies are still 5% lower than uh, pre-COVID levels and uh, low development, well, uh, not well, countries that are not developing fast are even uh, lagging behind more than that. So. There's a 2% lower uh, employment rate uh, in certain countries. If you take Brazil, Mexico, or South Africa, we're at 8% or more uh, underneath the pre-COVID employment level. So we thought that it would be interesting to look at the causes and the uh, consequences of the stop of the convergence, because there are a great many implications in terms of the economic environment, in terms of the social environment, the political environment. And as you know, our business consists in helping companies face up to market-related risks. And these are phenomena that um, help us consider all these risks. We'll examine them in
0: detail. We agree that these divergences do not appear with the health crisis.
2: They have been highlighted more. Actually, they were revealed by the crisis because, from in 2017, 18 and 19, their volatility seemed under control. The economies had been growing at the same time, and now the crisis has highlighted uh, latent, concealed tensions, which make the uh, universe of uh, well, the environment of the recovery more risky. Tania Sologou, when we talk about divergence under
0: this general word, we are mentioning many things. How can this divergence appear? What is the typology of it?
3: Yes, and if I may go back to what you said, there is a, a, a key word here. It is the ba- revealing. Um, this is what the crisis is about, you know. Y- y- your question was about what happens before. A lot of emerging countries entered the crisis with a growth that was slowed or slowed down and with this, uh, the, the feel that they, they were catching up slowly. Um, this was linked to several elements, a lack of uh, capital, a loss of capital productivity, and many countries, among those you mentioned, were uh, trapped in the intermediate uh, Revenues. So, and and, uh, there was also a slowdown for China. So, what is interesting in this field, and thank you for asking the question, is the uh, moving from this idea of a slowdown, catching up phase, up until. Acceleration, that is to say, up until divergence. And that's the growth differential, which is the interesting statistics between emerging countries and developed countries that is shrinking on and on. But we have reached the lowest level these 25 years. And with this transition, uh, uh, thinking about it, I believe that there, there are cumulative events, uh, both for poorest countries and for richest countries. For the poorest countries, and this is something that is definitely talked about, there are so many international reports. We see the scars of the crisis, especially on the uh, job market and in the field of education. That uh, in these sectors we will roll out in the years to come, but. It is also a matter for the richest countries, you know, it is the gap that makes this dynamic of divergence quite interesting. And for the richest countries, um, the thing is, the crisis has uh, made a a certain phenomenon possible, you know, in terms of uh, commodities, uh, strategic resources, uh, uh, Taiwan, Korea, producing conductors and finance. Because just to keep it short, there is a report from Credit Suisse, which is really interesting about it, which said the more we insert cash into the economy, the more it shows on on the financial markets and on the real estate market with increased inequalities. So you have poor countries that are getting poorer and rich countries that are getting poorer. It works also for people.
0: Thomas Gomar, beyond what has just been said, what are for you the characteristics and the causes of this diverging movement?
4: i rather take an interest in uh, political divergences and its effects. Um, what Xavier and Tanya said. I mean, you know, what I'm struck by is the differences in, between models.
2: Uh, maybe what
4: matters actually is the time frame. You know, I, I think you have to take into account obviously 9/11 in, in 2000, but in 2001 also China entered the WTO, and there is another crisis that came before the, the health crisis. Is.
2: Uh, the uh,
4: 2025 plan, by China, announced by China a few years ago, which announced their protectionism, and the uh, 2030 sustainable development plans, which uh, aim at uh, lifting many emerging countries from from from, from poverty, and there's also the Paris Accord. You know the Paris agreements, which uh, are supposed to really regulate the evolution of of, of business models. So. From all this, you have political confrontation as to what models will be followed, and this is stoked, if you will, fire is stoked by the health crisis, and it, it, it revealed, it's the proper word, you know, it's a catalyst for everything that we've been observing so far. The health crisis is going to bring to the fore uh, differences in managing the health crisis, between on the one hand, you know, the Chinese model, which seems very efficient in terms of, of number of casualties, even though some um, of their figures have to be taken with a pinch of salt. And so that model, and the, on the other hand, the US or European models, which seem to be a lot less efficient. The other uh, act, uh, factor which explains this divergence between emerging and developed markets, it's the, uh, you know, the recovery from the crisis, the vaccination rollout. When you take a look at the map of the rollout, it, it explains a lot why developed countries are bouncing back and why emerging markets are not, and because they don't have access to vaccines, and so they are somewhat making their way out of
0: globalization. Mignot, when the industries is uh, approaching this uh, environment. So, briefly, could you introduce Brief Construction? Yes,
1: Brief Construction is a company that is present in six countries in the world. 55,000 employees, 13 billion turnover, and business, we have 40% in France, 70% in Europe, 20% in Asia, and the more mature economies, Singapore, Hong Kong, Australia as well, and roughly 15% in less developed countries, Caribbean, Africa, South America. This
0: movement of
1: divergence,
0: how did you feel it? What consequences can it have on your activities?
1: Now, maybe this divergence can... It's like what happened two years ago with the COVID crisis. There were same effects at the beginning. Um, the closure of uh, work sites, of projects, and then we had to start all this up again. And there were problems due to mobility. Uh, migration movements that were initiated with the closure of the work summit so uh, that had to be uh, reversed. And, and uh, this, for us, a company, when you stop a project, you have a lot of uh, capacity immobilized. And there is difference in treatment. In the more developed countries, where we have most of our activities a number of measures that were deployed by the states uh, to uh, provide support uh, when there are problems with penalties regarding uh, default on deadlines, and also for public tender uh, and public support to help. And this is something we saw in developed countries Singapore, France, and most of the developed countries, uh, supported by the state, sometimes also accompanied by private players. And this is something we didn't see so much in developing countries. And then another phenomenon that is more specific to our business is certain parts of our or segments of our uh, business Uh, It stopped very early on, everything to do with transport and tourism, Uh, the construction of hotels in countries that are less developed, Asia and Caribbean countries. And our countries, for most of them, were suspended or halted. The building of airports, also another one of our businesses, lots of projects were put on hold, and many of them haven't resumed yet. So an impact on these uh, uh, business lines. Another thing you may have observed uh, in regards to the environment. There's been an acceleration of awareness regarding the environment, and construction was a major part of the problem, but also a major part of the solutions when it came to uh, carbon footprint. We have an acceleration of the awareness of, with many consequences on our business, which are major consequences in developing countries, majority in Europe. And this awareness wasn't experienced in the less developed countries the same way. Thomas
0: we thus feel that this crisis also shed the light on the role of the governments, on public authorities, this divergence in what we have just heard, and it's very clear, has been mitigated in uh, large proportions, or the impact of the crisis is again shedding light on what we can call the good governance well precisely I mean
4: when you take a look at the role played by public states uh, states and public authorities, it's a distinction between emerging economies and, and, and developed economies because when you are an emerge, when you are a developed economy. You don't turn to the WHO, you turn to your own authorities. However, when you're a state which doesn't have sufficient infrastructure, you turn towards the WHO. So I think uh, you know the, the, the relationship with public authorities has really been different from one country to another, from one region to another. and there's this trade-off between efficiency and, and, and constraints in a way. So that's one first observation. Second of all, what really strikes me with with the health crisis and, and, and the way that it relates to what public authorities do, either there's been more cooperation or less. Actually, for instance, in Europe, uh, there were you know it was a patchy sort of rollout. But two years on. The EU, when actually it's not in the competences per se of the EU, you know, the health management, the vaccine rollout management, the EU has weathered the storm rather well compared to what it first did. So, it's probably less the case in the US, and it was a major... It was a shocker, I mean, in the way that the US authority reacted, even even if they improved afterwards. So, it's also, I think, uh, something that really reveals what we should and can accept in a health crisis, which heralds others, I think. I think in the background, what is becoming clearer and clearer to to one and all is, on the one hand, we are more and more becoming more and more aware of climate change, global warming, loss of biodiversity, pollution, and we're becoming more and more aware of this. And on top of this, there is this sort of um, well, digitization of the world, more and more data every day. Today. So, um, and obviously, this is something that is truer for more advanced economies. Et ça,
0: ça veut dire... Fidurand, the, I can hear you talk a lot about the health crisis. I'm not an epidemiologist, but we may hope that the uh, hardest part of the health crisis is behind us. What you are describing is going much beyond the health crisis, and this is what we can conclude from what we're saying now these deep divergences will be durable.
2: Well, now, as we are moving away from the, health, from the health crisis, no one knows whether it's over or not, and there may be more to come, as Thomas suggested. But anyway, there are reverberations that have been revealed by the crisis. What I'm saying is now we're setting up the remedies to face up to the post-COVID situation. Monetary policies are tightening, left, right and center. Now there is residual inflation. Is it structural uh, or not? That's debatable. But anyway, there's inflation that is uh, uh, picking up. There are supply chain disruptions that have different kinds of impacts on companies, industries, countries, and it's quite dramatic, actually. And there are decisions that will be made Following uh, the consequences of the uh, crisis, some strategic industries will be insured. Some people uh, discovered that they could work b- b- uh, anywhere, from anywhere. So there are quite a few consequences. And, uh, of course, this involves risks or changing environments. And whenever there's a change, there's a risk, right? Changes in the economic environment post-COVID. We mentioned the energy transition, which was somewhat overlooked during the crisis because. WE HAD OTHER uh, THINGS TO ATTEND TO AND THERE WAS LESS CONSUMPTION. AND NOW ENERGY IS uh, MORE EXPENSIVE AND, HEY, surprise! THERE'S THIS NEW PROBLEM SOARING ENERGY PRICES. SO IN TERMS OF RISK, WHICH AGAIN IS OUR BUSINESS, WE ASSESS AND APPRAISE RISK, AND NOW IN THE POST-COVID CRISIS THERE ARE NEW RISKS. MAYBE THEY'RE MORE ACUTE, THEY'RE DIFFERENT, AND ANYWAY, THEY'RE QUITE uh, DIFFERENT FROM ONE COUNTRY TO THE NEXT. BECAUSE WHETHER YOU'RE IN A MATURE COUNTRY WITH A ROBUST ECONOMY AND YOU CONTROL your uh, currency, whether you're pegged to the dollar, whether you are a producer or importer of energy or commodities, whether your uh, neighbouring country drives your economy or not. Well, uh, there are differences between countries.
3: If I may, before you ask a question.
2: (laughs) I'm here to ask
0: questions, yes. Uh,
3: You know, many things were said, and I wanted to respond to this, especially about this uh, uh, crisis being over or not. I think that we must acknowledge the fact that there will be two uh, different worlds—one world endemic, endemic world—and if you look at the uh, levels of vaccination, so well where people will be vaccinated with a lot of consequences on growth, on tourism—and then there are so two different worlds uh, debt-wise, uh, refunding uh, means uh, two worlds. I mean, I said that financial markets are gradually going back to the world that used to exist. And the world on one hand we have emerging countries that have a traditional solvency constraints and we will see what is to happen in Brazil Chile. You know, sanctions, no, zero tolerance about the tax reform. And on the other hand, countries that are said developed, who are entitled to the debt button, to uh, designing uh, uh, fiscal and uh, political uh, policies. But these are two different worlds. So.
0: So two risks and uh, environments?
3: It's also two kind of risks, yes. It is going to be complicated because we're using the same ratios for both these words. Um, secondly, and, and I'm just responding to um, to what was said, I believe that we have an imperative especially for the for less developed countries, would be growth anyway, because growth would be required in order to face and to cope with the debt. And secondly, to be able to jump into what will most matter in the 10 years to come, an investment cycle. That's what you were referring to. They will not make it without investing properly on digital technologies and on the climate. But this is also a matter of geopolitical uh, uh, pressures and incomes. But on this question of growth, and that would be my, my conclusion, about this notion of growth, the main uh, problem is that emerging countries' economic policies, you know, have no leeway. There are no, there's no leeway. You know, we consider that there is a great complexity in terms of countries and Gulf countries, but many of them have no leeway anymore. Why? You know, lots, I read everywhere: South Africa, Kazakhstan, Colombia. How can Latin American increase their tax basis with such a precarious conditions for a, a big part of their population. That's internal and domestic policy matter. And also the investment rates are increasing, and also financial markets themselves that have the same kind of sanctions without providing the capitals that are required. So there's an imperative in terms of growth, but the economic policy has very little leeway.
0: Pascal Mingliot, you described earlier on how you are affected by the crisis and the differences between countries, situations, and each of your activities. What are the lessons we can draw from the crisis? Now that we are, for the health part, uh, nearing a post-COVID situation, what has
1: changed in the way you will be working, investing and producing? Now, perhaps when it comes to the choice of the countries where we're going to be present and clearly With a more expansionist policy, we realize that in a certain number of markets, we're well present, we've developed our business, there's a capacity for extra growth, and extra growth linked to the fact that it's linked to new needs, the way that buildings are built, low-carbon construction, the design, circular economy, that's one first element. And then the infrastructures that these developed economies are asking for today, uh, based on on carbon-free mobility, renewable energies, which are major markets for us. And there's a specific know-how, um, high-tech know-how. There's perspectives for development in these developed countries that are much more certain compared to our other activities that haven't started up again or not totally secured in developing countries, and maybe with less stable funding.
0: So fewer risks for developing countries?
1: Well, 15% of our business does represent that, but we're going to really focus on these forms of contributions to low-carbon economies and also contributions to digital economy, for infrastructures, for fibre-optic networks and things like that.
5: What is really interesting is that we're starting to see this, and you're putting your finger on something that I find very worrisome, something key. Look at uh, the latest report from UmTat. There is a growing concentration of new projects, what we call greenfield projects, in developed countries as well as in Asia. Conversely, there's a drop in those projects in Latin America and in Africa. And here again, I'm talking about trends. And this is a key aspect, which is being compounded by all that CSR business. So, yes, yeah, CSR is good, we're happy about it, we all uh, keep track of what's happening in terms of green financing, but there's a correlation between CSR investment and per capita GDP. So this creates a concentration and also a divergence.
0: If this dichotomy is, keeps on worsening, if there is a widening gap for all the reasons mentioned, what is the geopolitical risks? What is the... Risk of tensions between some developed countries and developing
2: countries. Well, what
4: I'm seeing is a risk of divergence between developed economies between China and the US, typically. I mean, we have, uh, I mean, this is the the framework that we're working with. Yeah, there's basically. a real
0: tension, but it's another topic. It's
4: not necessarily another topic. I mean, in terms of geopolitical risk, that's the main matrix, you know, and then they will have um, domino effects on third areas, if you will. Well, we
0: have being explained that uh, WIG is less uh, uh, encouraged to invest in some
2: countries. No, but you have probably. No, it's
4: not as a consequence between. US and China and necessarily, but these tensions result in systems of sanctions that make it difficult for, for companies. For instance, the EU has 40 different regimes of sanctions uh, ongoing at the moment. So as a company, you need to work with that, obviously. And I insist on the China-US dimension. Why? For two reasons, because 40% of CO2 emissions uh, come from either US or China. So if they don't work together in a proactive manner, Um, the Paris Agreement will be very difficult to, I mean, we'll be completely out of it, you know. So everything will be down to this rivalry between both blocks, And uh, you have more than $1 trillion of military spending uh, between US and China. So this is what I'm talking about, the the essential matrix there. Now, when we look at other areas, other regions, what we're seeing blatantly is that there is, you know, regional powers are, are on the rise for instance turkey turkey is is in dire conditions in terms of you know its economy but it's it's it, from a geopolitical standpoint it's it's expanding russia likewise uh it, it, has difficult relationships with its neighbors, such as the Ukraine, Um, even though the macroeconomics of it are different for Russia than than it is for Turkey, then you have the third category of risks, the risks that come from failed states. These difficulties that we've been talking about, meaning that state powers, state authorities are crumbling upon themselves. Take a look at Ethiopia, for instance. Ethiopia, which not that long ago was heralded as one of the great successes of, of, of emerging and now they are grappling with the civil conflict, you know, civil war.
2: Um,
0: Xavier Durand, this post-COVID crisis will reveal some weaknesses, okay, they feel better, they have a more efficient health uh, policy, a more uh, robust management of the crisis, they have the tools and the resources, but they also have increased their debts. They started protection mechanisms for companies that are not uh, here forever. So we're coming back to normality. So even in developed countries that manage to sail the storms, maybe things will degrade.
2: Well, unquestionably, risks are on the rise. But there is a twofold situation indeed more has been spent but we have more ways to control our budget
0: and in the
2: 2007 crisis the states were hesitant to intervene because the origin of the crisis was finance so there was a moral there was something moral at stake. now the crisis was, is the result of a virus. Who's going to blame the, the virus, right? And intervention is uh, not a problem. And intervention is less costly than no, non-intervention. But risks are on the rise. Debts are rising. But we can control that. And uh, the conclusion that I can draw from all this is that we are experiencing and will experience a highly complex uh, situation. And it is very difficult to forecast what will unfold. And as I see it, that is so uh, what matters most in all this. Um,
0: Without anticipating the next panel discussion whose topic will be a transition. But there's a connection between the two. This transition towards sustainable development model is fundamental. So, in any case, this widening divergence will increase the pace of transition of divergence as well. So, it is a phenomenon that will self-feed, really. And without poor countries, will have more difficulties uh, getting out of the crisis, managing the transition, and be more diverging.
2: Clearly,
4: we are already seeing the uh, geopolitical effects of environmental transition. If you're in the Netherlands, it's going to be difficult, but it's going to be even more difficult if you're in Sri Lanka. So, there's the question of climate justice, which will come to the fore. Many developing countries are telling developed countries, first of all, you are not, you know, keeping your word under the Paris Agreement, and you are developing at the detriment of our common good, you know, which is the climate. So this will breed very difficult geopolitical tensions. And there's a fundamental difference in how we see things. For instance, Europe sees this as a problem of governance, and in China and the US, they see it very differently. I think these two countries are basically organizing their digital and environmental policy depending on their geopolitical strategy. So their main aim is to take over the other as the main power. So And if they need to use environmental and digital policies to do that, well, be that as it may, you know. So And um, I think this will bring on a systemic crisis systemic crises that will be closer and closer together and this will lead us to looking for closer cooperation.
0: Do you agree to say that this uh, divergence and transition phenomenon are closely linked?
4: Yes, I agree.
5: One caveat, however. Well, I'm not saying that I disagree. I just have a caveat, because we're going to get it wrong. The question is where are we going to get it wrong? Because, yes, this world is is full of uncertainty, there are lots of breakthrough, a lot of disruptions, and also we're moving into something Historic. we're finding increased pressure, increased tension in all countries, even the least developed countries. It's difficult for countries to think of themselves as being empowered, as being more autonomous. What do I mean by that? Geopolitics has an impact on fault lines, yes, but obviously when you drop a pebble in the water, this sends a a ripple effect. And those countries that needed to become more empowered and regain agency uh, in every area of the economy uh, need to set up action plans over the long term. That's what I find concerning. So what do I mean by seeing oneself as more empowered, more independent? Maybe I'm being optimistic, too optimistic relative to reality. But if we look at most countries... Um, ready-made solutions. We're happy uh, the Washington consensus is finally dead, yay. But what I'm saying is that countries have a more pragmatic approach to development. It's mostly bottom-up. It's based on local uh, local experience, and this will please uh, our French uh, uh, Nobel Nobel prize winner for economics, so look at, look at what's happening in India and how economists there think. They're thinking about the value of a community, and that is a very interesting thought. So we have a negative approach. We think negatively. Or positively certain things, but they have a different point of view, and there's so much in literature on what is a market, what is value, etc. So there's something happening. We're seeing tremors. However, now getting back to what Toma was saying earlier, there are countries such as Russia that started diverging from the back in 2015, even earlier. So their trajectory started to diverge from a geopolitical point of view. In other words, geopolitics took precedence over the economy. What does it mean? They started hoarding, accumulating reserves. They have very low levels of debt, and they are obsessed with stability and autonomy. And there are other countries that are doing the same. Turkey, for example. Gulf countries, very soon Azerbaijan as well. So they're obsessed with being empowered independent, economically in particular, even if this means hurting growth, hurting revenue, even if this means a sclerotic political system. So the main source of uncertainty for the future is China, because what is China is doing is putting on the table its own growth priorities, and China is making huge and important choices, and. Uh, their system creates inequalities, and we should all pay attention to that. And know there's a fashionable narrative about that at the moment. But China is also self-segregating. So what is going to be the effect of that on other developing countries? That's very important. There may be a strong divergence by China, de facto.
0: So we can clearly see that it is a complex and multifaceted divergence. Pascal Mignot, how is this influencing your development and your investment strategy? One of the notions that Tanya was mentioning is that of the long term. Is it more Complex?
1: More difficult?
0: Not for all your activities, but for some of your activities. You surely have long term projects uh, over uh, a decade. So is this. Well, the fact that it is so much complex, difficult to to read, really, so that there are many possibilities of tensions. And for the longer projects, uh, is it more difficult?
1: I'd make two comments regarding that. First, uh, I was talking about these major infrastructure projects for renewable energies and uh, digital uh, technologies. Uh, and it's true, it's uh, in developed countries where there's most demand, where there's more uh, expectations on the part of societies in these countries, and because it's an environment that we uh, see as being more secure. One of the consequences of the health crisis uh, was uh, the disruption of uh, uh, the raw material markets, the pr- cost of materials, availability of materials, transport of raw materials, and the countries, the less secured in those in that regard, and those with uh, uh, less local production are the countries where the projects were impacted most. And what I note today in our projects in Europe or in the States or elsewhere, we tend to uh, turn towards a more local supply chain that we would have done in the past, because we're avoiding, we're hoping to avoid this phenomenon of disruption of logistics at a global level. Is it a fleeting thing, or is it something that's going to be more long-lasting? Another phenomenon we've observed relating to infrastructures that uh, answers this aspiration to autonomy. A number of investments in infrastructures, in industry, in energy, and in health. This has been relocated country by country, and these are opportunities for business and in the more developed countries where we're already very present.
0: Um, Xavier Durand, since the beginning of this conversation, we have been noticing divergences, multiplicity of top. Topics. I would like to ask you questions about another type of divergence. I mean divergence inside countries. This type of divergence is widening. The discrepancies between revenues and incomes are increasing. They do generate in countries like ours, or similar countries that generate social tensions. How can this risk... Well, is this risk existing, and how, how do you understand it? Well,
2: it does exist, it before the uh, health crisis, the uh, yellow uh, jacket uh, phenomenon in France is evidence is that It was interrupted during the crisis, of course. There were some political uh, measures that dampened that, and uh, a number of measures were uh, implemented by countries that could afford to roll them out. But nevertheless, the risk does exist. And that social risk is something we measure as an uh, integral part of the uh, operating risk of any economic player. And we have a social uh, risk uh, index, which is on the rise. So the theme of divergence goes beyond gaps between countries. It has to do with social cohesion.
0: So this is developing everywhere in all all continents? Well, for
2: the reasons mentioned in our conversation, the index is on the rise. For good reason, you know, commodity-based economy, access to uh, critical digital tools, for instance, Education, the type of e- economy that you're in. Uh, because if you spent uh, the last two years in the tourist or uh, restaurant business, well, it was a, it were tough times, right? More so than in other industries. So, again, the crisis has revealed latent uh, factors, underlying phenomena. And this results in risks that take on uh, several aspects for companies. And they vary from one country to the next, and from one industry to the next. It also depends where you are in the value chain. And that's Kofa's business to determine all that. And that is the conclusion that I can draw. That there has been an increase in the overarching risk, and uncertainty is greater and greater. How can these internal
0: tensions can be uh, included in how you understand the political tensions? An example among others, it's quite clear that uh, when it does exist in the US, we may consider that it is an advantage for the uh, enemies of the U.S. to see the the Americans uh, fighting on the Capitol. Uh, So uh, Vladimir Putin or uh, Lin Jinping are not disappointed when seeing these images.
2: Well,
4: a couple of things. When you take a look at the difference in uh, life expectancy between uh, Singapore and Sierra Leone, it's 30 years and between the uh, richest and poorest neighborhoods in the city of Chicago, it's also 30 years. So um, the inequalities within countries have been extremely deep. It explains a lot you know, the the, the the Trump phenomenon, you know, polarizing, polarization of societies. So much so that in the Biden administration, uh, there was this idea that, you know, um, they wanted to I- invent um, foreign policy that is favorable to the middle class, you know, because they feel that the democratic identity of the U.S. was under threat. So, in We've seen we've seen that Trump has been able to target certain segments and um in in, it, in his bid to for protectionism. But you know the U.S. and the Chinese economy are so interlinked that it's, you know, it cannot go all the way in terms of protectionism.
2: Then, the Chinese
4: much more so than than the Russian for other reasons, but
5: efficiency
4: is on their side. And what they do, basically, is they lambast democratic regimes, saying that the U.S. is a mess, that 2024 is going to be chaos, the midterms are going to be an important indicator. What, what's going on in, in the UK? The um, political life, which uh, presents a number of similarities with what is happening in the U.S., but also in France, I mean, we are seeing this, this sort of lurch to the right. So, um, all this is being used by by, by by China basically saying you're part of history, now it's our moment and so it's the moment for our model. The main difference being that uh, the Communist Party in Russia fell in 1991, but it's still present throughout China. It has 90 million mem- members and millions and millions of, of cadres, if you will. Um,
3: Well, let's remember, you know, the level of inequality, Um, well, there are several ways to assess in terms of wages and revenues. But there is something quite striking. The level of inequality is pretty much the same in the US, in China and in Russia. That's quite interesting indeed. It proves that the uh, economic system has analyzed all economies, no matter the regime. So, if you refer to China with the uh, common prosperity programs, it's something that must be observed. Um, you know, the Chinese are very good on some elements. It's the, their capacity to assess uh, urgencies. So. We and they can make this diagnostic, and we can do it too. We we'll have the same system to, prece- to proceed. But this, uh, my second comment is: we're talking about a transition and uh, the ending the political crisis. Well. You know, I, I, you know, we we have studied the uh, uh, transition in Eastern Europe, and we have talked about this term, you know, transition, and what can we learn from this past. Well, we're not ending this, the, 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 this uh, polarizing uh, world, and I believe that the key word is, is trust. And this is a term that has been studied by economists, and there's a great author, Irschman is his name. And what makes people move? and evolve towards polarisation is when they are disappointed. It's disappointment, is the difference between words and reality. So ending the crisis is about rebuilding trust. And there are indicators that are quite interesting to consider, because we know that uh, in societies usually the uh, level of distrust between individuals uh, is, is l- correlated to the level of distrust towards states. So, if we want to, it's, it's a matter of, of rebuilding relationships between the individual and in the states and individuals themselves. So, you see, there are reports, reports uh, uh, proving that the number of people who died from COVID could also be partly correlated if you compare Brazil with the Singapore, with the level of trust people placed in their community. And I believe this is, uh, to me, uh, is, is a way to leave this dichotomy, legitimacy and having trust in the state and in the community.
0: We are nearing the end of this discussion. I would like to talk to the two company managers here. We looked at the macro aspects of these, the impact of divergences on how economies are organized, the geopolitical impact, how you tackle your respective markets. But now, I would like to know what this is changing for the company. I mean, for its structure, does it mean that you will have fewer offices abroad or you will think more before settling in a country will you modify the work organization uh, would change the way you decide to to settle in a country what has been modified by these phenomena
1: For us, for choice where we're going to grow and where we're going to be present, we think more about being present uh, in developed countries more and countries where Brugge is already uh, present and to look for synergies and effects of scale or added value that we're going to be able to generate uh, in these markets. Another way in our way of working, we realized Lots of things to be done remotely when we have an activity where you have projects that have been long standing projects and projects that are uh, projects that we export and follow a customer and we do them differently. We might uh, have fewer resources. Uh, uh, For example, we may not uh, send people uh, to the the States or Philippines or Singapore sometimes. So we found different ways of working with more local teams, uh, smaller teams and this made us open our eyes to a number of uh, uh, problems we had in terms of efficiency internally and models that we continued to repeat and we realized that we could do things differently and better. And it's been very positive.
0: When risk is back, Xavier Durand, when it is more difficult to circulate people, really, and when you're a company that, by definition, aims at assessing the political and economic risks everywhere in the world, well, maybe you can say that uh, we have too many offices here. We need few people in the field. And to continue with what Pascal Minot was saying, you need local people where we are not much present. So what are the consequences for your structure and, uh, the, the, and the development of it in the
2: next months? Well, the, Uh, tagline of Kofas is for trade. In other words, we have to work at both ends of uh, the line. Our organization is international. We have operations in roughly 100 countries. And everything we've talked about shows how uncertain the times have become. There's movement. There's complexity. Therefore, it's more important than ever to be on the front at the vanguard of these changes to really wrap our arms around them in order to respond quickly. During the crisis, we discovered the power of technological facilities in 24 hours' time. In March 2020, we moved to work from home for all our teams globally. people would have thought us crazy if we had uh, thought it was possible. But it does work, and it's productive. The engagement of our employees has increased 24 points in the process, and cycle time, response time, has been improved. So the crisis has revealed the uh, worth of these models, and we invest in these models more and more. We fortify our local presence as well as our global integration. And in the end, we are still working on the same path. We are more and more risk management experts with a decentralized approach. We do what companies find difficult to do, face up to this um, multitude of uh, geographic aspects merci beaucoup
0: thank you thank you very much for uh, this for participating in this discussion thank you to our listeners and stay with us for our two next panel discussions dedicated to transition towards a sustainable development model and what you are all expecting as each year the economic forecast and the risk assessment of this country risk conference thank you very much